As a thank you in advance for listening to this episode, please feel free to grab yourself a free copy of the Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. Well, hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier. Excited to be back with the latest episode and edition of the show. As our listeners and viewers uh, know, we love bringing on first-time guests to introduce them to our audience and viewership. And so, Woody Woodrow, really excited to have you here today. Uh, Really excited to bring your energy onto the show. You have a really cool story, which we'll, of course, dive into. But, Woody, where we like to start in the show is we like to get people to tell us a little bit about who they are and how they spend their time. I used to say backstory, but people are like, do you want me to go back to when I was born in the hospital? <laughs> so, you know, just more related to how you spend your time today, and then we'll dive a bit uh, deeper anyway. Uh, but how do you sort of spend your time? What sort of jazzes you up? And, and can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, thank you for having me, first of all. Super excited to be here. Um, how I split my day, it kind of changes depending on where I'm at. So there's a good portion of my life that's spent on tour. Um, a little bit less than um, the past decade and a half because my band that I play in, a heavy rock style band called Our Last Night, um, we've been touring for the last 15 years, which is pretty crazy to think about. But um, our tour schedule fluctuates. So one year we'll be on tour for, let's say, maybe four or five months, um, which is like the most we do now. And then some years it'll just be for like a month um, and it fluctuates. And on the years when it's not... Um, it's not really tour heavy. We spend time splitting between Nashville, Tennessee, which is where my band is located. Um, and I personally live in, uh, also in California. Um, but I recently shifted out to Nashville because we wanted to shift our business, um, out this way. Um, a lot of my bandmates are, um, they, they have kids and wives and they're looking for schools, environments that are going to be for foreseeable future for them. Um, and I totally understand that we were in Cali for like five years before and, um, we all shifted out this way. I just have an amazing tribe and uh, uh, supports, uh, support system, support circle, whatever you want to consider it out in California that I uh, like my soul family. So uh, it's important for me to balance my time between the two. And when I'm in California, um, I like to spend my time. Um, usually I'm always working on myself. So that's just like morning routines, yoga, meditation, working out, um, doing all sorts of mindful practices in regards to working on my mind which I think is important. Um, recently been working a lot on rewiring my relationship with uh, money and abundance um, over the last like, year, year and a half. And it's been an awesome journey that I can say has been coming into fruition most recently. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, but um, I also spend a lot of time um, with people um, doing things anywhere from, you know, just being outside to then at the same time dropping in. And um, I'm a part of a men's circle in California where it's a bunch of masculine that get together and we share what's going on in our lives, whether that's something that's difficult for us or something that's, um, you know, we're struggling with or something we're grateful for. We get reflection from masculine energy, um, from non-judgment and love, which I think is really, really important. And that's kind of what my entire tribe embodies out there. So I try to spend as much time as possible with them because uh, it really lifts my, my soul and my spirits when I travel. Um, and then when I'm in Nashville, my time is spent um, Monday through Friday, usually at the studio, which is where I am now. And we, we have our own studio, which we're very blessed um, to, to lease, if you will. So we have a five-year lease on this studio that we built with pretty much our bare hands. We bought it as a 
commercial space, tore down the warehouse, built a soundproof live room, and record all of our videos, um, produce all of our music, literally do everything out of this central location. Um, so when I'm out this way, I spend most of my time here working on music, um, still always doing meditation and yoga. That's just my foundation every day in the morning. Um, but that's kind of how my life is split. It, it's interesting to think about um, the, the balance uh, of life for me because I get it very much from like a, a very contrasting reality when I'm in California and then when I'm in, I'm in band world. Um, because my life is constantly going, but when I'm in different environments, I find it is like very contrasting based on the, the energies I'm around, who I'm with, um, just choice of conversation, um, just choice of activities. Um, it just is very sometimes um, eye-opening, <laughs> to say the least, and it, it keeps me growing because I think to have perspective from multiple different areas um, and different um, different opinions and different realities. Um, to digest, I think is healthy because then we don't get stuck in just one way of thinking and one way of being, which I spent most of my adolescence believing that there was one way to live and one listen music to listen to and <laughs> one way to eat, you know, you know how it works. But, but yeah, so I split my time um, between the two as well as my life um, very, very uh, contrastingly, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does for sure, Woody. And there's so many directions I'd like to go from there. So on the first side, to dive into, let's say, when you mentioned YouTube and mentioned the band a little bit, because you guys were, have been able to do something that not every artist has been able to do. And in fact, I was sitting with um, a Canadian music icon recently. Her name is Biff Naked. And we were talking about this, about, um, you know, I was talking to her about the change in the music industry. And, you know, she talked about how she's seen it directly where a lot of people that before, even her own band, would have been full-time in the band, now with the way the music industry has changed, less CD sales, all that kind of stuff, now she sees a lot of people doing a side hustle, if not two side hustles. So that's how much the, the music business seems to have changed. And I was talking to another guy uh, who we re interviewed recently who's on the music producing side, and he, when I mentioned her and her saying that, he goes, dude, and that's a legend. He said, this is a legend telling you that. Like, that's mm. how much has changed to her seeing it. She even has a side hustle, but hers is, uh, she wrote a book for HarperCollins, and now she's working on a second one. So her side hustle is still related to the art side. But the point of that whole story is a lot of artists have seen a big shift. And I think YouTube, if they've used it right, has actually served some artists really well, including you guys. Mm -hmm. And so uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, that shift? Because touring 15 years, you probably saw both sides of it. I mean, you saw, you decide before, YouTube existed, but it wasn't doing what it is now for artists. So can you talk a little bit about that? And, and did you guys embrace it or did it come and be a happy accident to you guys? Or how did that all come to life in terms of being that band that's embraced YouTube and had a lot of success with YouTube? Mm. Yeah, true. I guess I got to kind of go back to like when we started um, in high school and we just wanted, you know, we wanted to be successful. We wanted to play music. We wanted to have people at our shows. Um, and we wanted to be whatever that vision of a big band is. And so we didn't really know what that vision was besides just being signed, because when you're a band starting out, you think that like you get signed and it's like the ticket to the Holy Grail and like the pearly white gates open the minute you sign that, that contract. And um, far from the truth, um, we signed a contract and literally that day we got in a van and drove around half of the US for a month, just living out of a van, loving it, mind you, because it was our first tour ever. Um, at least outside of the New England area where we're based or where we were based. And, and so we started doing that. And then after about six years on a label, um, we were on the largest independent label in the world, Epitaph, um, which was a learning experience and also a great 
platform. But we learned a lot about how to not do things from that experience. And we kind of always had this idea in our head that we were, we, we were not a cover band throughout our existence of being on Epitaph. Because a lot of our uh, friends had done covers. There was a CD series called Pop Goes Punk, and there was a lot of like covers of like, like Top 40 Radio gone like punk or like rock or something. And we were never ironically asked to be a part of that. Um, so it was, I don't know, I don't know if we were like salty or we were throwing shade because we didn't get invited, I don't know, but we just didn't want to be a cover band. Um, and then after about like two or three years of touring and not really having a lot to show for um, the past like six of touring, like really dedicated, like throughout the US, like intense, intensely, um, we just kind of reevaluated. And we had a manager at the time who told us, he was like, yo, if you give me like three to six months, uh, we'll flip this around. And if not, you guys can either, you know, if you want to break up or if you want to restart and do something new, go for it. Just give me like three to six months. And we were like, okay, whatever. At this point, you know, like we want to be successful and we were slightly ready to just like detach from that idea of having to be anything, right? Like cover band, not cover band, who cares? So we got convinced to do a cover of Adele Skyfall when James Bond came out. And we did it, and at that point, our label hadn't returned our emails for like six to eight months. We hadn't really heard from them. We'd been trying to reach out. Ideally, we just wanted to find out when our contract was going to be over, and they just didn't respond. So we were like, hey, let's just try it. And we just filmed the video, shot it off of literally a tripod that was attached to like a dolly in our studio, just rolling it around. No idea what we were really doing, um, and put it out there. And we ended up getting like a quarter million views on it in like four days. Um, so yeah, and like we hadn't had any publicity because our label slightly like shelved us a little bit. They paid a lot for the production of the records that we did, but they didn't really seem to care that much to invest the energy to promote them, which seemed like a very interesting business model for us, but is what it is. Um, and so for us, it was amazing promotion and it was free. And we were like, wow, that's incredible. So we, we kind of were brought into the YouTube world that way, kind of from releasing the attachments, not being cover band to then just being like, Hey, we want to be successful let's just try every every means possible um little side note there that was interesting though and this is for all you like youtube fanatics or like music industry people um when two entities claim a youtube video and i'm pretty sure they, they've like adjusted this so it's way more professional now but so when two major entities claim a video on youtube it takes it off of mobile devices and this happened to us so our video was getting about 70 to 80 thousand plays a day and we just put it up there so we were stoked and Sony had claimed it because they owned a Dell. Normal, totally fine. Then Epitaph, not knowingly, because YouTube was literally still just on, on the rise. People were just kind of getting into it. Um, they went and claimed the video too because they thought, oh, well, this is our artist, so we own anything they create, so we're just gonna claim it too. And when they did that, it cut the viral head off the campaign. So viral stuff goes like this, and it was like on this verge, and then they just cut the head off without knowing um, and we went from getting about 70 to 80,000 plays a day to getting like 7,000 plays a day or like six because it takes it off of mobile devices and makes it so you can only watch it on like laptop computers. And not, not that many people are doing that. I mean, unless you're at work and stuff, which is, which is fine. But, um, but so that was really interesting for us and that opened our mind to uh, a, new, a new world and a new way of doing things um, and also how not to do things, uh, which seemed to be <laughs> a recurring pattern of being on a label. Um, so then we decided to wait till our contract was over and then we made a whole campaign of covers for that summer leading up to a release that we did, um, which ended up being one of the largest releases that we had. And it was entirely self-released, which was really self-fulfilling. Um, and since then, we've ever since that 
time, we were like, yep, yeah, it's going to be us. We're going to do it. My buddy, Matt, he's a legend. I've always known since we were like 14, 15 years old. First time he played a guitar. It's one of those people you look at him and you're like, how do you write that? How do you create that? And he's just always been like this gifted, to me personally, kind of prodigy because he's always had that vision and has that ear and just knows um, kind of how he wants things to sound. And if you put him in a room by himself for like 48 hours, all of a sudden he'll have like this like symphony created that you have no idea how he created it. He's like one of those people. Um, so, so having him as a part of like our like nucleus essentially um, makes it so we can produce any, uh, any and all of our music ourselves to the quality that most people would think it would be like Matt, like spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars. But he's just unreal at what he does because he's been learning it for like the last 15 years. Um, but even before then, our, our demos are really gifted. So we just decided, hey, we're just going to do it ourselves. And so Matt produces all of our music, our covers, our originals. Um, and that allows us to have this like really crazy rate of play and allows us to get covers out there really fast. Um, so we're allowed, we can hear a song that's going on the viral trend and we can cover it that we can have it out in literally seven days if we want to. Um, preferably, we, we would like it to be like maybe two weeks to three weeks, just based on algorithms and Spotify and things like that. Um, but it's really cool to be able to do that and not have to answer to a label. Um, but to come back to your question about the YouTube stuff, that's kind of the whole like long form answer to how we got introduced to the power of YouTube. And then since then, we've just been constantly learning and growing. Um, and we've grown our subscribers now to like we're a little over 1.7 million um, ourselves. And it's um, one of our main outlets in regards to promotional tools. It's, it's really fantastic to be able to reach a whole different demographic of people and then also to be able to reach people that listen to music that's not traditionally your own. We have a lot of people that come to our shows and say, oh, I don't go to rock concerts, but I listen to Ariana Grande or Justin Bieber or Adele and I found your cover and now I'm here. And for us, that's really, really cool because it means it's working. Um, and it's a great way to promote um, the tours that we're doing, but as well as our originals because for some reason, people tend to find, a, find out about us from our covers and then they listen to our discography. And so it kind of works like a, a trickle effect a little bit where they find one and they're like, oh, they have a whole bunch and then they have a bunch of originals. And so they'll just go through a lot of them, which is really, really rewarding for us. Um, and it's really, really fun um, to, to, to create those and to be in close contact with the people that we're bringing into like our band. Because we, we also pride ourselves on that a lot of being very accessible and doing a lot of fun meet and greet style stuff on tour to make us human, we're really all just human, just connecting with each other, right? So. <laughs> Wow. So, you know, since so many people these days, Woody, are trying to figure out how to either go viral on YouTube or at the bare minimum, how to leverage a platform like YouTube, a video platform, what have you, they're always looking for those kind of insider tips, even though we know with the way social media works, the way online video works. I mean, a tip you give somebody today may be outdated tomorrow. However, having said that, I noticed a couple of things you said there that people could learn a lot from. Uh, you know, one obviously is consistency. We hear that a lot, but it doesn't mean people are practicing it, meaning you guys are consistently putting out new content. But another thing I heard there too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we had this guy in the show years ago. His name is, I think, David Meerman Scott. And he talks about, um, trying to think of what he calls it, news tracking or news something, news hacking. News hacking, I think it is. And what he talks about is setting up Google alerts so that if a new news story comes out and it's topical, you can then write a blog or an article on it and catch the wave of momentum. And it sounds like that's what you guys have been able to do as well, which is A, if something's already in somebody's mind and they're already talking about it and liking it and thinking about it, then you know that they have space for that. Because let's say whoever it was, the bigger entity paid the money to put that into our mind. You know, like let's say if there's a big viral thing for a new uh, energy drink, 
and then you guys wrote an original song with an energy drink. It's, you know, it's just a perfect timing thing. So do you think it's important for us to be, let's say, aware of what's happening currently if we want to create a buzz on social media and actually find a way to whatever that is, but talk about that, communicate that, like to actually watch what's happening and be on the cusp of that? Is that something that's been super powerful for you guys? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's our industry in regards to music, but then it's also like our entire world when it comes to being in it, right? So, so we're all in this. Um, and if we're, you know, wanting to be seen, which we all are, and wanting to be heard, um, I think it naturally um, takes a little bit of awareness of what's going on. Um, I don't necessarily know if I'm the best at that. I'm just blessed to be around people that do stay really, really informed about that stuff. I'm more about like, I want to be outside. I want to like go do stuff. I want to go drop in with people and not be on my phone. Um, but I'm with people that, you know, like to stay informed and as do I, but at the same time, it's like, I'm grateful to have those people in my life. I mean, I don't pay attention to a lot of the news because it puts a lot of negativity in my mind. And I just think in my head, I'm like, yo, if it's that important, somebody that I know and love that's around me is going to bring it up to me, <laughs> which I'm like grateful, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but in, yeah, in regards to staying informed with what's trending, I think it's definitely necessary if you want to, uh, you know, be ahead of the curve on some stuff. I mean, for us personally, I think uh, looking at the songs, because that, that's, you know, that's our industry right there, looking at the songs and seeing what's popular. And we were just talking about it yesterday, actually, but um, we used to just listen to the radio and see what was being played a ton on the radio. And then we covered those kind of songs. We did one, um, we covered Katy Perry's Dark Horse right when we heard it started to get played on the radio. And we nailed that campaign and that one went viral for us because we hit it as it was on the rise of being, uh, being a viral video itself. So then it kind of like took it with it. Um, which is really cool. Um, Radioactive for Imagine Dragons is similar to that. That's one of like, the most covered songs out there um, that we've also done. And yeah, it, was, um, it's, it, it took being aware of what's trending, but now it's shifted. So now it's like not necessarily just the radio. It's Spotify. And Spotify actually makes it easier to kind of notice what's trending because you can just be like top 10 or top whatever in the US or top what in the world. And it tells you, and you can see how many like views it's getting and everything. And, um, the relevancy of, you know, rate of play and like all the different analytics that are coming in, it allows you to see that. So that's really, really helpful. And if we're talking about like just random viral stuff too, um, you know, it's always funny to see things. I mean, there was like a, there was like an egg that went viral recently. So my social media manager thought it'd be funny to make us all look like eggs and he posted on our Instagram and it like went off, you know, it's just like, I mean, it's like, <clears throat> you gotta have fun with it. And so staying in touch also keeps you in touch, um, with your fan base. And we have a fan base that's, primarily like 18 to like 27 pushing 30 um so they like they're informed and they're with it too that we used to think that our fan base was like super young and like in their teens but they all grew up <laughs> kind of for us and i mean we're still a, we're still appealing to a, a younger audience based on our job and what we do um and playing music that's pretty well known um at least doing covers of it and then creating high energy music um, but at the same time, it's like our fans are pretty informed and with it in regards to social stuff and like viral things that, that are going on. So it's funny. I, I think our fans get a kick out of seeing the human side of us. Um, and so I would recommend that to anyone that's either doing band things, speaking, if they're writing, um, you know, just making yourself relatable just makes you more connected. And so if you can be related to, if you can be relatable, then it gives you an up level into like making a lasting impression with people which is ultimately what we want to do and create connection and community so i feel like it's really important so here's a, i guess something that popped into my head when it comes to the style of music that uh, that you guys choose to cover you know you see something going viral 
how important is it to you guys and, and there's no judgment on this. The answer to this, I'm just curious. How important is it to you guys to pick a song that's going viral that actually maybe aligns with the type of song that you guys would normally play? Or is that matter at all? Like, are you guys just also saying, you know what, whatever music we, that brings them in, then they discover our style and it can be different. Like, do you guys have to resonate with that song? And does the song have to align with what you're doing? Or do you guys just pick a song and say, this is going viral and we like this style of music? Or where does that all play in? Uh, so, yes, sir. Great question. Mainly, um, it's based on the popularity of the song. So we don't want to be covering a song that's kind of been out for a while. People might be like, oh, like, why are they doing this? We try not to. We've done it, and it's happened, and we've had songs that didn't really do as well as we'd hoped, and we learned from them. Um, but ideally, the rule of thumb for us is to find a song that has the most popularity and the most essentially, like, buzz at the moment and try and catch it on the wave. Even if you catch it when it's at the top, it usually does pretty well. But if you can catch it on the way up, that's just like you're just getting launched straight up into that stratosphere. And Spotify kind of works where you just like throw songs up into the ether. And imagine the ether being like this like fast stream and it just kind of throws them up there. And if you get it like high enough up there, it catches the ether and then and then it just goes. Um, we had one recently on Spotify um, by this girl named Billie Eilish and it went off. It still has like the most plays of any cover we've ever had and we put it up like maybe two or three months ago and like we've been doing covers for like six years so it's it, it pretty wild um but so um yeah now i'm losing my train of thought <laughs> um yeah i was just wondering about the songs how important is it that they're aligned as well to you let's say your originals or your style of playing music or, or yeah. it, it's pretty pretty much like if, it, if this is a word it should be a word in the dictionary now but viral ability um, you know, like if it has the ability to go viral, there's a higher chance and better chance of, of like it creating lasting effects that will bring your, bring your fans, um, and grow your, and grow your band or grow your audience, um, and grow who you're trying to reach. So for us, it is that mixed with the song style. So yes, we can kind of go all in and be like, we're going to cover this song no matter what and do it. And that can be really tough on, on, on my man, Matt because he sometimes has to like really manipulate some things and he'll, he'll like hit shift stuff and like change it up to make it more our style. So this way it's like in a key that makes the most sense for the team for them and also for like music and what's going to sound good. Our style for anyone that hasn't heard us before is, um, is got this very dark minor sounding, but it's also high energy and like uplifting. So it's like, it's kind of this like hybrid, like dark sounding because we use seven string guitars and play mostly minor keys. Um, we, we tend to like have this like dark kind of eeriness to us. But at the same time, if you listen to our choruses, a lot of them are super catchy um, and super melodic. And not that something that's minor can't be melodic because that's just not true. Um, but we like to keep it uplifting and a lot of the stuff that we play is catchy. And some of the stuff will be like more, more like, like I guess it would sound a little bit major sometimes, but mainly we're just doing minor. And that's what we look for in, in, our, in our songs that we cover is that they're, in keys that work for our style of music. And what's really cool about that is if you look back on who we were as a band, you know, as we go through life, no matter what, we're trying to figure out who we are, we're trying to figure out this life thing always, right? So when we were younger, we got signed, we thought we made it. We didn't really know what our style was. We had songs that were kind of all over the spectrum. We had like a really poppy song, or then we had like a really heavy song. And then we had like, um, you know, a really catchy one, but then like weird, like heavy parts and then a techie song. We used to kind of, we're kind of all over the place. Um, which was cool. But then as we've evolved and grown, um, the covers have almost like as if they've like helped to imprint our style a little bit more. So my buddy Matt, when he's writing things, I think he's been able to be around more like top 40 radio structure and song melody to kind of like scalpel and like digest it 
to then then make it something that comes out into our originals more so in regards to them being more catchy, um, like just more like more like sauce, like more special sauce on them that gives you that that like uniqueness, if you will. Um, and then also honing in on that unique sound. So this way you're not like here and here and here and here. You're like staying true to what you are. You can still bridge the gaps and do different things, but you're staying true to this like this kind of center, this balanced center that's helped us um, to kind of create the sound that we've cultivated, which is why it's sometimes hard for me to describe because if you don't listen to it, um, it's sometimes hard because I'm just like, oh yeah, it's like alternative rock, but then it's like metal and then it's melodic, but then it's like catchy and poppy, but then not and heavy. So it's like, it's all over the place. It's really, if you want to put it in a nutshell, it's alternative rock, um, but it's got metal influence and um, we, we, we love playing it. But when it comes down to the stuff that we cover, it has to kind of mirror that style that we create because if we don't then it's going to sound something like it's not going to sound like us we've done a few songs that kind of were like a little bit more like pop punky because we had to like manipulate the chords to make it sound more like us which is fine uh, but traditionally we do stuff that's more like darker and heavier sounding so another thing i heard there uh woody is about and i think this is crucial too when it comes to you know and i'm thinking for those influencers that listen to our show that are trying to figure out how to whatever that might be how to get an engaged fan base, how to connect online, whatever that looks like to them, or even in front of an audience. One of the things I heard you say is about the idea of being in touch with your audience, uh, not only just being relatable to them, but being accessible to them. You, know, you mentioned doing unique things when you're in town, above and beyond having the show. Um, I guess how big a part do you think that's played in the growth of the band and in, you know, in the band being as successful as it has been, the fact that you actually are in touch with your audience. And I could say almost like a modern day version of what the Grateful Dead used to do. You know, like they were the, the they were the, I think the, the audience's band. And it sounds like you guys are trying to capture some of that as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's really important, you know, um, to create relationships that are deeper and like, you know, relationships are formed in all sorts of ways, whether that's you're in the audience or you're on stage or you're in the audience with other audience members. There's relationships everywhere, um, and we're always cultivating them. And I feel like if you can create a relationship that's different than the normal, then you all of a sudden create a bond that separates yourself from everyone else. And so we've been able to you know, have control over our music and have control over what we've released for the last six years, um, and allowing ourselves to kind of reflect that in our live show, whether that's myself crowd surfing, all the way to the back of the room while playing and then coming back because like that's just kind of part of one of our stage antics that we like to do sometimes um to like literally just connecting with fans before shows at a free meet and greet that we don't usually like to charge for um because we want to be as accessible as possible to as many people as possible and i think doing things like that that puts you like face to face in interaction with people that support you creates deeper and more meaningful relationships and i feel like that's really for me personally, that's what's made my life so epic is the relationships that I have. And so if I can even get a smidgen of the deep relationships that I have in my life personally with the people that support me, then I think we're going to be um, on a whole different level. And we are technically, we're living it right now. And um, we get a lot of feedback from our fans being like, holy shit, you guys actually hang out like, and like are real people? Because, you know, like there's this idea, you know, that, you know, you're, it is, I don't know, there's a lot of people that put themselves on a pedestal and it's easy to do in the music industry. I mean, hell, it's even easy to do in the yoga world and easy to do in like spiritual communities. That stuff isn't my thing. I don't think it's really, I mean, yeah, it, it comes with the territory given none of us are Justin Bieber, none of us are Ed Sheeran. We don't 
we, we don't have that, like, we go out and people, like, mob us and freak out. I don't, yeah, I don't even know what that would be like. But we're at the point right now where we can hold space and be in a very, like, like real setting with our fans and just be people. And so many of our fans reflect back, like, wow, we appreciate you guys, like, not treating us like that. And, and, and not just being like, oh, it's just into the next, into the next, into the next. Sometimes we have to do that because we wouldn't get to everyone if we didn't. Um, but we don't like to do that. We, we prefer to be able to hang out and chat. And that, um, to us, is a lot more meaningful. And to our fans, just based on their reactions and based on what they've told us and reflected back to us, that's meaningful for them too. So I think if, if anyone that's influencing other people, you know, Lisa Nichols talks about disrupting the environment, right? So it's like, Think about that from the world perspective. How do you disrupt and do something different? And a lot of people don't put themselves out there and be real with their fan base that supports them. Um, Lisa's one of the people that does, and you can tell you can tell in how she speaks and what she does in her living, like for, for a living, that she's unbelievable at that. And and I'm one of the people that follow her and am a fan of her because I'm like, you're unbe- you're so good at that. I feel connected with you, and that's a relationship that I've never experienced with anyone in my life to that level where she's so good at what she does. And so if, if you like if you like somebody, let's say it's an artist or a performer, and you put yourself in a position where, where you can connect with them in a deep way, that's gonna stay with you forever. And, and that's really gonna allow you to wanna, like, allow them to want to connect, to continue and support you because either you saw them, you held space for them, or you just did something different that just disrupted the environment and just made things different. And there's infinite ways of doing this. I mean, you can do it through social media, just by responding to people. Um, you, you can do it through, you know, like calls with people. You could do it through facilitating workshops, through webinars. You could do it through meet and greet. You can literally do it through just about anything. You just got to do it differently and like the way most people are doing it. So, Yeah, I, I love that. And it makes me think that we need to change that statement uh, from don't meet your heroes to meet your heroes. You know, like yeah. make, you want to make it so they want to meet their heroes. And yeah. You know, we've heard that statement for so long, right? Don't meet your heroes because they might let you down and stuff like that. And I have to be honest and say, you know, the people I've shared space with over the years, maybe it's I'm trying to manifest the right people into my life. But the people I've met over the years that I used to watch on TV or wherever that space was, watching them wrestle on TV or play large gigs, you know, going to their music gigs when I was a kid and now knowing them personally, almost every one of them has been world-class to me. They've been, and not just to me, anybody I've seen around them. So I don't know if I picked the right heroes or what have you, but my point of that is, is that I love what you guys are doing because for those, you know, for your fan base, they're getting to have a good experience with a person they've followed and are inspired by. And it makes them think, you know what? It's not always going to be that person that just blows you off and says, next, unless you're buying something from me. So I love that you're doing that. Well, I definitely appreciate that a lot. And I think it can go both ways. Um, to be completely fair, because there's people that I've met too that were kind of a bummer to me. And for me personally, when you're creating art, I think it's even more important to create a relationship because that's a reflection of you. So if somebody meets you and then it's like, oh wow, that person was like super mean or that person didn't even give me the light of day, then it kind of ruins your music and the rest of your art for that person, kind of for their life. And I've had a lot of people express to me that they went to meet this band, this band, this band, and they were just really mean, or they weren't nice, or they did this, and they chose not to listen to them anymore. And so I think it can go both ways, right? So like you, you create this, like, like you're saying, meet your heroes, you're creating this relationship that then it makes you like them more. Because I've, I've listened to bands, and then I've met them, 
or a singer or something. And then they were nice and remembered my name and then were like super friendly. And I'm like, holy crap. And now I can't stop listening because it's so powerful, that relationship that's, that's created. And, um, it, it, and it's really just, you know, just the connection that's really strong that you're creating. But in, in people that are really powerful um, and aware and very like conscious human beings, um, they know what they're doing. And, th- and they know that if they, if, they, if they wrong someone, that it could negatively impact another area of their life. And like I said before, we're not, you know, we're not Ariana Grande over here. You know, like we're, we're not dealing with like the mass scales. I don't even know what that would be like. But at the same time for us, we pride ourselves on the people that support us and we do our best to stay in contact with them. And we know that dropping in with them face to face and then holding space with them makes us real and makes us almost seem like we're just a deeper extension of the music that we create. And then that creates a longer relationship, which then has people bring more of their friends to experience the same thing when we see them. And then this thing that that keeps growing. And so it's one, it's one faceted approach mentally, I think, to being successful just how you treat people because how you treat one person is really just a reflection of how you treat yourself. And if you can look at that as if everyone's a mirror into your life then it changes how you treat other people. And that's how I think you can create really, really epic bonds with people that then accelerate your business and your art and whatever you create. Wow. That's, that's all that just that one section of our interview here is almost a masterclass. What do you, so thanks. <laughs> I have to say, you notice when I said, uh, you know, I've, when I've met my heroes, I said, I think I said most of them. I didn't say all of them because I've had some of those experiences too. Maybe off air sometime I'll tell you about a couple that recently happened. (laughs) But for the most part, I've been, I've been fortunate. Um, So as we wind down and there's never enough time for these interviews. um, And I know we barely scratched the surface with your permission. I'd like to bring you back on. I mentioned I'd probably end up offering that because I think uh, there's so much more we can cover. However, uh, I have, three wind down questions and I call them rapid fire questions, but you can decide, you know, how long you want to take to answer them. I just call them that just to give them a name. Uh, first one of those is, and maybe this is different now, maybe it's not, but you talked about what you viewed it like when you were a kid wanting to be the rock band versus, you know, what you might view it like now today, but how do you define success for you? That's good. I define success as well-rounded. Um, to be completely fair, I don't necessarily believe in success being the 1% of people that have all the money in the world. Uh, I think that's just a whole paradigm way of thinking, to be completely transparent and honest, um, just because I've gone from having no money to having money. And I know that um, having money is fantastic and, and a lot better. But I think it's about, um, it's, it's about having your health. It's about having your relationships. Um, it's about having your finances. It's about having... Um, you know, the, the connection with your family. It's about, you know, having your mental health. It's about having all these things that makes you more of a 1% than the 1% have. Because I think you find a lot of people that have a ton of money in the world. I don't see a lot, at least the ones that I've met, who seem to be like exuberantly happy. And for me personally, that's more important than having a lot of money. And um, I always make sure that my relationships um, come first and foremost because I would rather drop in with somebody and make sure they're okay or make sure everything's good in their life than to focus on just money. Because I mean, everyone says this, but you can't take it with you, right? It's like, you can't take it with you, but it's amazing. Um, I'm pretty sure Les Brown or Zig Ziglar, I think I've heard Les Brown quote Zig Ziglar (laughs) in, in a speech about money saying like, yeah, it's not that important. It's just up there with air. Right. It's, like, it's not that important to be successful. We just need it like air. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. It's important for sure. But at the same time, um, acknowledging that as a thing, 100%. Um, also, 
you can't give what you don't have. So like, if you don't have your health, like you can't buy health. And then you also like, you, at the same time, you're not going to be able to give from an entrepreneurial sense. Um, if you're into that, if you don't have your health. So I feel like being well-rounded for me personally is, um, means that there's all these different areas of your life that are successful, not just one. So you're not like sacrificing your family life for your business life. You're not sacrificing your mental health for your physical health. And you're not, you know, you're finding this balance and there's, there's infinite possibilities and ways to do this. Um, there are some guidelines I could totally recommend and I'd be happy to maybe in the next session that we have in regards to mental health, physical health, um, or just in general. Um, but for me, it's well-rounded and, and that's, that's the success that I strive for and I look for and I feel like I'm cultivating in my life, um, to find the balance and it, it, it's always fluctuating. You know, some days you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so high up. This is great. And then the pendulum swings and you're like, oh my gosh, today was such a bad day. Blah, blah. It's all relative. But at the same time, as long as I'm making slight progress into all the areas of my life and not allowing one to go completely down, um, then I find myself living um, from a place that I feel is, is, is successful. And I know that's relative depending on who chooses and whose perspective we're using. But for me, it is, it is a well-rounded success to answer your question. So, no, I love that. And so it's interesting when you mentioned Zig Ziglar uh, in talking about well-rounded. The thing that popped into my head right away when you started, even before you mentioned well-rounded and you started showing the axles, I'll call them, or the axis of having them all in place, is one of the things that they teach, I know, in the Ziegler brand is the, and I can't remember the term for it, but it's like the wheel of success. And basically, it's an actual wheel that you draw. And then, of course, they get you to say how, where you are one of the 10 on the axis for each area. So health, wellness, whatever it might be, uh, financial success. Uh, relationships and then you got to go at a 10 so if you're like at a six and a four and a three then at the end you draw a circle around your wheel and see can your wheel actually move or is it like <laughs> but and they do it with two wheels on a, on a bike so I think they have like 14 areas they really dive deep into it but anyway it was it's such a powerful visual but when you talk about well-rounded I talked yeah. about how your wheel has to be round I thought about that from the Ziggler brand, so that's <laughs> Zig uh, created, and then they still teach. I know when they're in their Ziggler brand, so it's interesting yeah. you mention Ziggler, but it's a great way to actually do an assessment. But I'd love to, in our next interview, talk deeper. You you mentioned some strategies, so make sure we uh, we diarize that, but talk about it later. Um, second of the three questions is I call the time machine question. So if you could jump into a time machine, if they did exist, because somebody just called me on that the other day, said, "Well, they don't exist," so I'll say, "If they existed." If you could jump into a time machine and go back and talk to a younger Woody, first question is out of that, would you go in the time machine? And if you did go in the time machine, uh, what do you think you might tell that younger version of yourself? Um, that's a good question. I would, because that sounds crazy. And who wouldn't want to travel back in time? Because that'd be so epic. Not to disrupt anything like the butterfly effect, of course, but um, I would enjoy to go back and probably just tell myself at any point during my adolescence, a couple things. I would tell myself, um, that my intuition and my gut about my band being successful is right. So continue to follow it. I mean, I did that anyway, but I just would like to affirm that because it would make my belief even stronger. Um, number two, I'd like to tell myself that you can do anything. So dream bigger than you think, because um, I didn't always dream bigger and I kind of let myself like numb myself for a while and think that I wasn't good enough um, in regards to music, in regards to speaking, in regards to just being a human. Uh, I didn't think I was valuable. I didn't think I was, worthy of success um, and it wasn't until i found yoga meditation and uh, mindfulness that i really discovered the power within myself and that transformed my relationship with music and my and my friends and my family and everyone 
Um, and I, I mean, I think when, we're, when we naturally compare ourselves to other people and we're around people that are really epic and, and powerful and strong and musically oriented and just like have the things that we desire, um, we kind of bring ourselves down because we're comparing. Um, and we don't look within to find that divinity, that relationship to the material that we have to develop. And once, once you learn how to do that, then all of a sudden everything changes because like we said before, it's like everything's a relationship and how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if you can find a way to like learn and master whether that's learning yourself, teaching yourself or master the relationship with the material that you're trying to cover, it changes everything. And it really comes from the relationship within because if you know yourself and you can know how you learn, you can know how the relationship with you works, that then you can reflect with other people in other areas to create stronger relationships and stronger bonds. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that. And uh, it's funny, that's something I've been exploring for a while, the time machine question. So I, I love your answer. And the idea of telling yourself, stick on the path, you're on the right path. It's so wild. And that's what I shared in my, my latest TEDx talk, what would you tell your younger self was about what are the common things I've heard. And the most common thing I heard from some of the highest achievers in the world is that they early on in their life, they wanted to leave the, the path they were on, they thought they were on the wrong path, on and on and on. But almost everyone says the first thing they would tell themselves is keep doing you, don't change. Even though you're going to go through some crappy stuff, you need to go through it to become the who you, who, the version of yourself that you want to become later in life. So it's kind of neat that it, how great would it be if younger people hearing this could change now, though? Like if they could actually know at 20, and that's what I'm trying to do with this message is know at 20 or 18 that your older self is probably going to tell you. Don't beat yourself up over these things. Don't, you know, don't beat yourself up saying you can't do this. Be confident. You know, you're going to, you're going in the right direction. It just, I think it'd be, life would be a little easier if people could realize that almost every person I talk to that's achieving at a high level would tell themselves, don't change a thing. Yeah, you know, I, I, I totally agree 100% because it's just like, yeah, the things that happen made you who you are, right? So, Absolutely. So, so, so you don't want to change it. I, I, I do have one more thing I have to add as, yeah. as number three, because if I was talking to my like middle school or high school self, I would just have to say, yo, first and foremost, also look at what you eat. Because I went through like diva mode for like my like five, six years of like between high school and college where I would not know why I was crashing. And food is so important because food's like your medicine. And I was not told that. And so I would whisper in my ear, I would just go like, yo, food's your medicine. And if you think that starting your day off by just having cereal with milk and then pizza for lunch and then soda in the afternoon is going to make you feel good, check yourself. Because I was, I like, I was worried. I didn't have clear skin. I like didn't have energy. I was like worried about my body. I didn't like all these things about me. And I know if I had just focused on maybe eating better, that would have changed everything. At least my mind, because it's like the food's your medicine. So it affects how you, how you think and how you feel. And I just went through so much of my life feeling like crap, not knowing what I could feel like because I was stuck in feeling like crap. And once I shifted and stopped doing so much of like the processed sugar, stopped doing so much of processed carbs um, and doing like as much like dairy and, and, and doing things that kind of kept me into like a numb state, all of a sudden like I started realizing, wow, I feel, I feel so good right now. I can't go back from feeling this good because now I know it exists. It's almost like you see something, you can't forget it. It's like you feel something, you bet yourself you cannot forget it. You know, it's like, it's like all of a sudden I felt that. So I would whisper to myself because I went through a long period of being insecure and not feeling good. I would whisper to myself, yo, just check in with what you're eating, do a little research, check in, maybe eat a little bit more, maybe eat a salad every once in a while, you know, just like check it out. <laughs> 
awesome stuff. So very last question, I call it the unofficial question most often, Woody, but it's simply for those listening, uh, you know, again, we, we scratched the surface so far, we'll dive deeper later. And we're also, I, I mean, I'm not talking a lot about my slightly secret project, but we have an interview coming up with you where we're gonna talk about the other side of your life that we didn't talk a lot about today, uh, meaning the meditation, intentions, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but before we let you go, the last, maybe most important question is for people that have been listening and saying, okay, well, I wanna check out this YouTube channel. I wanna check out the band. I wanna check out the work that you're doing. Where would you normally send them? Is there a hub or is there multiple places or where would you direct those people? Um, yeah, so for band stuff, um, just um, YouTube, um, just type in Our Last Night Band, so that's O-U-R, Last Night, um, on YouTube, and it will come up. We have a whole page there, tons of covers, tons of original content you can check out. Um, we also have all of our social media bases covered, so anything you can think of, we got, for the most part. So um, if you type in our band name on any of them, we'll pop right up, we'll be the first one. So on Instagram, it's O-L-N Band, and on our website, it's just ourlastnight.com. Um, those are the best ways to get in touch with us and to see what's going on. Um, personally, for myself, best way, we're all on Instagram. So I would just go Woody Woodrow on Instagram, send me a message, um, send me a comment. I check those daily, um, and I love connecting on that too. Also use Twitter, just Woody OLN, um, but Instagram is kind of where it's at. Um, I also have a website. Um, right now it's, uh, it's up there, and I do a blog, but I've been shifting my creative energy towards a book that I'm working on right now. So um, I've been paused on the blog and using my creative writing towards my book for right now. So that's another place that um, it's cool to check out from time to time when you see what's going on. Um, but for band stuff, just check it out on YouTube. Um, also Spotify if you want to jam some tunes because Spotify is where it's at. So, um, so yeah, those are the best places. <laughs> Awesome stuff. Well, Woody Woodrow, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for honoring us today with your insight, your presence, and your grace. And uh, like I said, it's a to be continued. So this is just the start of the journey, but we'll uh, wave the flag for all the great work you're doing now and in the future. Well, stay, brother. Thanks for having me. <laughs> This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.